Well, good morning. Luke chapter 6. You know, there is, there is nothing better than having someone who just really wants to be your friend. Unless, of course, you happen to be down on one knee and you're holding an engagement ring in your hand. In that instance, let's be friends. It's, it's a bit of a letdown, right? You get what I'm saying? Sometimes, sometimes a nice response, it, it just isn't enough. If someone quite literally has just saved your life, a casual, thanks dude, is probably, well, it just feels like it's a little too small. There are times when our response, it needs to reflect the enormity of that which we are responding to. How we respond to Jesus falls into that category. Once we understand all that Jesus has done for us, once we understand that he stepped out of heaven, that he set aside his glory, that, that God the Son willingly took upon himself the filth of our sin, that he, he might offer us the beauty of his perfection, once we understand all of that, once we understand that, that he experienced God the Father's wrath and rejection so that you and I, so that we might know God's acceptance and love, once we know all of that, our response to Jesus can't be limited to an almost superstitious acknowledgement or to some sort of token modifications to the way that we live. Rather, we must respond with the giving over of the whole of our lives. We must become living sacrifices, living our lives not for ourselves, but in honor of, in obedience to, and for the glory of Jesus. In our passage this morning, Jesus describes to his disciples what it will look like, what it will be like to live a life that is wholeheartedly committed to him. Embracing a certain hardship and turning away from the pursuit of the things of this world. It's interesting, though, in, in Luke 13, much later on in the gospel, we're saying Jesus acknowledges that though this is the way that he would have us walk, there are few who are going to be willing to follow him, to walk in this way. You see, the Christian life, Jesus says, is a narrow door through which very few will enter. And yet, this narrow way, this living sacrifice, it is the only fitting response to what Jesus has done for us. Now, before we turn to this morning's passage, please keep this in mind. The things that we are looking at this morning, and for the next 
several Sunday mornings. They are our response to salvation. They are not how we get saved, but they are what happens to us, how we respond to the Lord having been saved by him. They are our response to God, not our initiation with God. This isn't what we do so that God will like us and save us, but rather this is our response to God because of his grace and mercy that he has poured out upon us. What Jesus teaches here does not deal with how to be saved. Okay? What we are looking at this morning is our response to salvation. Our salvation that is by grace, through faith, in Christ. We are saved by what God has done, by what Christ did upon the cross, not by what we do in response to that. With that in mind, with that in mind, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. I encourage you to open up your Bible, Luke chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 20. And out of respect for the Word of God, because this is God's Word spoken to us, let's stand. You can follow along. I'll read. You follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Father, I, I ask that you would grant us the grace of understanding. God, that we could comprehend and Lord, that we would receive, that we would accept what it is that your word says to us. God, that we would hear it and that we would respond to it. God, we, we depend on you for that. We depend on you for the ability not only to, to understand what it is that you're saying, but to, to have a desire to respond to it. And so, Lord, we look to you for that. We ask that you would work. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. You know, many of the things that Jesus teaches here in this passage, uh, he teaches as well in other places. This message, uh, which was given as we saw back in verse 17 on what is called a level place or a plain, it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. 
It's very similar to another message that Jesus gives, uh, one that we're very familiar with out of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It, this sermon was given on a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And these two messages, though they are very similar, they take place at, at different places and at different times in Jesus' ministry. And though they have a lot of similar content, a lot of parallel content, they also have some very unique content as well. So, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, surrounded by his followers, some who have come out just for the day, just to see what all the fuss is about, as some who have been following Jesus from time to time, they are intrigued by his words. Others, they have begun to follow him everywhere, to show up wherever it is that Jesus is. They call him teacher, and they have decided that they want him to shape their lives, and they call him rabbi. And there are 12 of them that have just been assigned the task of being his messengers, his apostles, who will thou take his message to the greater world. And so here, Jesus is speaking to them, to his followers, and he gives them a picture of what it will be like to follow him, to let him shape and form the living of their lives. So, verse 20. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So Jesus turns to those who are his disciples, those who are seeking to have him shape their lives, and not so much to the crowd of observers, but to those who have submitted themselves to him, who call him teacher, who call themselves his disciples. And to them he makes a series of observations about their present condition, and a series of promises about their future. Again and again, Jesus says, here's what you are experiencing, and you are blessed despite what you are experiencing. You're experiencing things that we would call hard things, and yet I'm going to tell you that you're blessed because the end result is going to be something really good. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's all going to work out. You might be poor. You might be hungry. You might be crying right now. But you are also blessed because of what is coming. Man, that, that's a good reminder for us, isn't it? Not everything in life is fun. But we are blessed. We are blessed not because being poor is fun or being hungry is fun but we are blessed because we have a hope that is beyond that. There is something still yet future that is good for us. There's the promise of God that there are better things ahead. Now, in verse 20, Jesus says that they are poor, literally that they are so poor that they have absolutely nothing. Now, as far as we know, that was never the literal material condition of the disciples. We never read about them begging for their next meal. Uh, but yet, everything they did receive, they received by grace from God. 
they had nothing. It was God who provided all that they had. Here's what Jesus is saying, is that those who are aware of their poverty can look to God to receive from him all that they need. The point here that is quite clearly made in Matthew chapter 5 there in verse 3, one of the parallel teachings from the Sermon on the Mount is that particularly those who are poor in spirit, who, who see that they are poor in spirit, they are blessed. They are blessed because they recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. They see their spiritual poverty and so they cry out to God to forgive them. Now, Jesus speaks here in a rather cloaked way. But that is not unusual for Jesus. Jesus often did this. Uh, Jesus often taught in parables. But understand this. Understand this. Jesus did not teach in parables to make things clearer. He taught in parables, as he says, in order to keep the casual listener from becoming hardened by hearing but disregarding spiritual truth. Jesus taught in parables in order to keep people from inoculating themselves against the truth. You see, it is only those who realize that they are spiritually in need, who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, who, who hear what Jesus says here and who understand what it is that he is talking about. And therefore, they turn to God, and they ask, and they receive from God uh, what it is that they so desperately need. What is it that they receive? Oh, what is their reward in the end? Well, Jesus says here, it is the kingdom of God. <laughs> but what's the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, most basically, the kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. Think about this, in the end, that will be everything. That's why Jesus says that those who, who lack things now, they're blessed because in the end, in Jesus, they will have everything. That isn't all he says. Look at verse 21. He says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied I think that there is a very real and practical truth to the bare statement here. Those who in this life are hungry and who are disciples of Jesus, understand, they have a comfort ahead. For all of eternity, they will be fully satisfied because there will be no more hunger. There will be no more suffering. There will only be for those who are in Christ, the fullness of joy. But again, in the Sermon on the Mountain, in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus brings the spiritual truth into focus there. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Again, it's those who are hungry for righteousness who will be satisfied by what they pursue. You see, all else that we pursue in this life, everything else that we seek after will eventually turn to dust and ashes in eternity. Understand that. Think about that. 
this whole world will one day perish. And so what should I spend myself upon? What should I spend my life in pursuit of? Temporary things? Things that will perish with this world? Or those things that are permanent? Those things that will last for all eternity? I think we should remember this as well. Jesus spoke these words to people who actually knew what real hunger and thirst felt like. <laughs> you and I, with such abundance, very few of us know what it feels like to be truly and desperately hungry or thirsty for more than 15 minutes, right? I mean, I've been, I've been so desperately hungry, I thought I was going to die. And five minutes later, I was great because I was full, right? Because we live in a land of refrigerators and McDonald's. We, we live amongst, in maybe not good abundance, but abundance nonetheless. And I think that that has, it has dulled our ability to understand the, the passion and effort with which Jesus says here we are to hunger after righteousness. We are to hunger and thirst after the things of God honestly in a way that I don't think we hunger and thirst after anything. With a desperation, with a realization that we must have this one thing or we die. There is a a passion and a desperation for the things of God that Jesus points us to here that I think is hard for us to comprehend. Partway through verse 21, he says this, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I love that. I love that. That it's not just you shall smile gently. It's not just you'll be in a fairly decent mood. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh out loud. Those who weep now, you will laugh. Again, there's a very plain promise of comfort for those who follow Jesus. In heaven, Scripture tells us that Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that good? Isn't that a time that you look forward to? Oh, there's too much crying in this world. There's too much pain. There's too much sadness. <laughs> this life, this life can be fraught with pain. You know, you don't even really have to have a reason, do you? You know, you just wake up some days. And the skies are gray. And your heart is blue. This world is broken. And it's full of pain. But that day will come when he will wipe away every tear. He will remove those clouds from our hearts and our minds. He will be our comfort and our joy. On that day, we will have joy. Not just and not just a little joy, obnoxious joy. The kind of joy that makes you want to slap someone here in this life. You know what I mean. You're having a bummer of a day, and someone who is just 
full of joy comes up to you. And you just want to smack them. Understand, that's your flesh, okay? That's your sin. That, that's not their fault, that's you. And yet, what the psalmist says, Psalm 1611, that in his presence there is a bit of joy. There is a margin, there's some. No, there is fullness of joy. There is fullness of joy. You know, sometimes you, you go someplace and you're, you're having dinner and the waitress comes and she refills your soda pop or your water and she's not paying attention or maybe she doesn't like you. You didn't tip well enough last time. And so she fills your drink until it is actually convex on the top of the glass. You know, they, they, it's that, that hydraulic tension that holds 13 ounces of soda into a 12-ounce cup. And you are now, and she, she didn't give you a straw, so now you are in the position of having to lean over the table to suck soda off the top of the glass because you can't move that thing without spilling it. And this is what it's going to be. You are going to be so full of joy that you can't move without spilling some. Joy is just going to come out from you. Do you long for that day? Even more than that, don't you long to be surrounded by people who aren't grumpy? Don't you long to be surrounded by people who are so full of joy? It's going to pour out wherever you go. That will be a good day. Today, we may weep. We may grieve. We may hurt. But we should remember this. Weeping may tarry for the night. But God has made us a promise. That joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. We have to walk through this season. We have to experience many hard things. But we have a promise of joy that will come in the morning. Friends, we are not living for this life. We are living this life with our eyes and our hope fixed upon eternity. Trusting that our Savior will more than make up for all that this life lacks. Trusting that, that what we gain in eternity will more than offset that which we have experienced here. And you know it will. It will. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul assures us that our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That's hopeful, isn't it? That's one to, to cling to. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you <laughs> and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Notice here, it's on account of the Son of Man. It's not when they hate you because you're a jerk. It's not when they spurn you because you are so arrogant they can't put up with you. No, no, no. What he's talking about here is when because we love Jesus, because we are shaped by Jesus, they reject us like they rejected him. Jesus says, rejoice in that day. 
and leap for joy. For behold, your reward in heaven is great. For so their fathers did to the prophets. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that it's going to be fun. What he's saying is it's going to be worth it. These are difficult circumstances. And they're circumstances that honestly we should expect. This is how Jesus told us it would be. Uh, think of John 15. There Jesus said, If this world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, this world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. They hated Jesus. And so if we let Jesus shape our lives and our living, guess what? They're going to hate us too. If we become like Jesus, those who have rejected Jesus will reject us also. And that's hard. It's hard, especially when they're people that we love. No one likes being hated, excluded, spurned. And there are times that that cuts like a knife. Especially when it's someone you care for so deeply. We can't expect this world to congratulate us for becoming like Jesus. They're, they're, they're not going to. But in heaven, Jesus says, we will gain a great reward. You know, it's interesting. We sing a song about it this morning, and Scripture speaks of it. It talks about crowns that, that you and I can receive in heaven and, and for our lives here on earth. And, and it talks about how the elders who worship around God's throne there in Revelation chapter 4, how they lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, friends, I, I believe with my whole heart that, that that will be what we will do with our crowns as well. That there will be crowns that we will receive for the way that we have lived here on earth and that those crowns will be laid at the feet of Jesus. I don't think that in heaven we will want for anything except for one thing. I think the one thing we will want for is a greater and greater way to worship the king. I think the one thing that we will want is the ability to worship him more. Not longer but more. Those of you who, like me, you can't sing, don't you wish you could sing loud and it sounded good? Because there are times, man, you just, you just want to belt out praise to the king. I think we need those times. Sounds good or not, we need them. And I think that on that day, we will be so thankful for any rewards that we have received, not because we want them for ourselves, not because it will make things for us better, but because we want more to give him. We want more to worship him with. Well, that's the dynamic of the life of the follower, of the disciple of Jesus. 
we are to live this life in light of and for the benefit of heaven. We give over the whole of our lives. We become living sacrifices. We live in honor of in obedience to and for the glory of Jesus in response to what he has done for us. Let's remember this. This isn't in order to earn his love. This isn't in order to gain our salvation. This is in response to our salvation. This is in response to his love for us. But not everyone chooses that. Not everyone chooses salvation. Not everyone chooses to worship Jesus. Some choose to seek after the stuff of this life. They choose to live for this world, this life, and Jesus speaks to them as well. Look at verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, I don't think that here Jesus is condemning all people who are more or less rich, nor is he condemning all people who are not really terribly hungry or those who are not sad in this moment or those who are not generally disliked. He isn't condemning them for not being that. Rather, he is warning those who don't have the natural advantage of disadvantage. Did you catch that? He is warning those who don't have the natural advantage of being disadvantaged. Jesus is warning those who, because this life is going well for them, because they are well provided for, because they have plenty of food to eat, because they can laugh, because they are not universally rejected, Jesus is warning them not to become self-satisfied or self-reliant rather than crying out to him for his mercy and grace. He warns them that if they spend themselves in pursuit of the things of this life, they might just get them. But that's all that they will ever get. And when time becomes eternity, those things will turn to ashes and slip through their fingers and will leave them empty-handed and spent. On that day, Jesus says, they will hunger. <laughs> they will hunger without the possibility of satisfaction. And they will mourn without the possibility of comfort. But not you. Not you. Not if you've given yourself to Christ. Not if you've submitted yourself to him, if you've received his grace, his mercy, his salvation. If you are a follower, a disciple, if you are asking him to shape your life, then, then there is a different story for you. It is one of promise and hope in the future ahead. As 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that the Holy Spirit is working within us. Listen to what Paul writes there. He says this, We all with unveiled faces are looking as 
in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We're looking at Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, Paul says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says as we look at Jesus, as we seek to have him transform our life, as we just keep looking at him, he changes us. We stare at Jesus. We, we read the Gospels. We read God's Word. We read what it is that He says to us. We look at Jesus. We worship Him. And as we do, the Holy Spirit does a work within us. He awakens a longing within us to obey the Lord, to be shaped by the Lord, to live for the Lord. We really are blessed, aren't we? We really are blessed. Jesus has redeemed us. He paid the price upon the cross for my sin. And he is changing us. He is taking the mess of me. And he is shaping and forming me into something that is far better than any of us can imagine. And he's doing that in you. He is shaping and forming you sanctifying, purifying you. And one day when we are with him, scripture tells us that on one day when we, when we stand before him and we see him, that we will be changed and he will complete us. He will finish the work that he has begun in us. And on that day, he will right every wrong and he will heal every hurt And everything will be changed. Yes, in this life, we will have suffering. <laughs> Jesus told us that that is how it would be. But don't forget, he also told us to be courageous because he has overcome, he has conquered this world. Yes, this, this life will be hard at times. But he says, don't lose heart. Be courageous because I have, I have conquered this world. He, he has. And one day when this life is over, you and I, it is unthinkable now, but, but God's word promises us that we will one day rule and reign with him. So until then, we wait. And we hope. We fix our eyes on the Savior. And we spend our lives in pursuit of eternal things. Knowing that though we may be hungry, we may be poor, we may mourn, but one day we will be filled. We will be content and comforted and we will have joy without bound because we'll be with him and that will be a very good day and all of that all of that was purchased for us upon the cross all of that was purchased when Christ went to the cross and he bore my sin and your sin and he has granted to us his righteousness you know, this morning we are going to, as soon as I sneeze, 
I've been fighting that sneeze off for 15 minutes. I almost won. This world is broken, sneezes included. This morning we are going to celebrate the Lord's table together. We are going to celebrate communion together. And what Jesus said is that communion is all about us remembering his death upon the cross in our place until he comes. So he is not returned yet. We are longing, we are waiting, we are expecting him. But until he does return, we will remember. We will remember that he bore our sin upon the cross, that he paid our penalty. He purchased our redemption and our sanctification. He has done it all. And we can have grateful hearts. And so we remember. And so in just a minute, as the worship team is going to come back up, come on up, guys. In a minute, the guys are going to begin to distribute the elements. And if you belong to Jesus, if you are his disciple, if you have asked him to begin to shape your life, if you belong to him, then this is for you. And I invite you, as the elements are passed, to, to take uh, of, the, of the bread and of the cup, And to hold them and we will partake of them together as we remember his body sacrificed for us, his blood poured out to cleanse us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the privilege of being here together, of remembering your death in our place. Father, I pray for any here who have not surrendered themselves to you, that this morning they would do that. God, that they would not try to, to live life on their own, that they would not end life with a handful of ashes, but they would live life with a heart full of hope, trusting in your promise, trusting in what you have done to purchase them, to redeem them, to pay their penalty that they would surrender themselves to you and partake and remember. God, even celebrate your death in our place. We thank you. We thank you for this time. Be glorified in it.